Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Henry Johnson III. I feel like for this movie, we have to be really official because this feels like a very oh. prestigious film. So I'm William I Henry Johnson. I you were going to call III. yourself Six Silver Balls. Uh, Felt like, well, you know, like a porn name for you, you know? We, mostly, we mostly, mostly, mostly two blue ones in my case. I got you. But, yeah. Two blue balls. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> Guy, ladies and gentlemen, Starman 2, two blue balls. Uh, <laughs> of the kid who was born in 84. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. Lee. Uh, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're share passions and high fives. Wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we're talking about uh, John Carpenter's 1984 film, Starman, which has been recommended by uh, Will Johnson being a John Carpenter guy. And I've actually had this movie uh, deeply requested to me by a college friend of mine named Mike Grosh. Mike Grosh, shout out to you. Uh, you wanted me to review this for a lot of years where uh, once this kind of landed in the the folder of choices here in the Cinephile Hissy Fit podcast, I knew my guy would be happy. So uh, oh. our format is this. The recommending lover goes first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater or second person in this case will follow with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth or meteor craters in Arizona. After that, we will open it up for 15 to 50 minutes of shared conversation where the Hissy Fit really gets trippy instead of chippy ladies and gentlemen let's go will what uh what got you to put this on the list Uh, i said my thing with my got my college guy who's always wanted me to review this movie so well let me let me start first i want to ask you before we get into our five minutes like what is your john carpenter background like oh it's as a non-horror guy it's low um let me pull this man's filmography up and and do the very tiny checklist of things i've seen if you want to go to my profile and people listeners can do this as well um i have a complete john carpenter list that you can follow so um i've I've taken out all the extra stuff but yeah if i've seen five it's a lucky five like okay so yeah, like go to mars is maybe like a caught it on cable situation like <laughs> it's not pretty uh brilliant film by the way uh which is underappreciated but um i've heard what you in, heard in, mm-hmm. according to my list the complete john carpenter which you can find on letterbox that I, I i like to go through letterbox and take out because letterbox since it is fan curated in a way like sometimes they'll give credit for you know, John Carpenter directing like a six minute like commercial or something that right. he had nothing to do with or whatever. So I like to make a lot of lists of directors and take out all the fat and put in mostly just feature length films or short films that they've done. So okay. at this moment, uh, Carpenter has, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to make another film again, but um, 23 films essentially. Okay. Um, as of this moment, I've seen 18 of them. Um, uh, some of them, I have not seen his TV version of Elvis, which I would like to see because it has Kurt Russell as Elvis, and I would like to see it in comparison to Baz Luhrmann's. Um, okay. The other two two early ones I haven't seen were, were Dark Star, which is the first one he ever did, which is like a sci-fi thing. I think he did it with Dan O'Bannon, and someone's watching me. And then towards the end, there's a um, his last two films that he's done. One was kind of a uh, Masters of Horror sh- like short film called Pro Life, which I haven't seen. And then there's one called The Ward with Amber mm. Heard, 
that uh, I've rented like four different times and I just have always <laughs> forgot to watch it. And um, I don't even think he likes it. So, you know, whatever. But yeah. so, I mean, I've seen I've seen virtually the essentials, though, you know, so I'm kind You're of a big yeah. John Carpenter fan. But and what I'll talk about in my five minutes in a minute is Starman was for the longest time one of my biggest Carpenter blind spots. And I only watched it. Let's see. Let me, let me check the date on here in Letterboxd. Let me see. When did I when did I review this? I watched this for the first time December 23rd, 2021. So okay. this is a fairly recent uh viewing for me. So um, it's within the so, last few years for me as well. So so both of us we, we we come from different levels of the John Carpenter spectrum, but we both I think we both agree that we think this is a great movie. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing being the, the newbie or the neophyte to Carpenter, I'm probably lower than you, which is why you get the leadoff spot here. Yeah. So let me go ahead and start my five minutes. But um, okay. So it, it's hard to believe because we didn't have internet culture for the longest time. I mean, it's a fairly new phenomenon, you know, internet culture. Um, especially in regards to movies, but, you know, people do, I, I think we live in a very niche culture right now where people are kind of expected to make music a certain way, make, make movies a certain way, do things a certain way. And when they go away from that, uh, there's usually some kind of internet chaos, you know, um, for example, um, like Rob Zombie recently came out with a PG rated monsters film. And, uh, you know, people were just like, well, what the fuck is this? And Rob Zombie himself even put out a meme that said that people were complaining before the monsters came out, that it was going to be a hillbilly, you know, uh, rape violent fest. And then when it came out and it was a kid's movie, people were like, Oh, it's not a, it's not a hillbilly rape violent fest. This sucks. Like, so, you know, fans try to have it both ways. But unfortunately, even before internet culture, there still was a lot of niche stuff going on. And I've even fallen victim to it. And John Carpenter also, and also the um, the late, great uh, Wes Craven were victims of that too. They were kind of victims of their success. Because John Carpenter, before Starman came out, um, uh, with the exception of some of the movies I mentioned before, like Dark Star was his first feature film, which was kind of a sci-fi trippy thing. Uh, and then there was the Elvis biopic. I mean, this was um, this was the list of films that he came out with before Starman. Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, and Christine. Okay? So you see a common theme there, right? Horror films or thriller films, all of which are simply phenomenal films, by the way. Um, you know, Christine probably being the weakest of those six. But also awesome. So, you know, he was a victim of his success because people were like, hey, this is a horror guy. Wes Craven had the same problem. You know, he could never get out of the horror genre. That's what people were offering him, and that's where he could make his money. So, um, Starman comes along, and, and a lot of this is thanks to Michael Douglas, because I think people forget before Michael Douglas was like this kind of. A bizarre sex symbol of the 90s and uh, also then a venerated, you know, an Oscar winner in the 80s and a venerated, you know, legendary actor. He was an excellent producer, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, China Syndrome, 
things like that. And he kind of got Starman off the ground and there were a lot of directors on board for Starman, but finally he went with John Carpenter. And I think at this time, if the internet did exist, people would be like, Starman, what the hell is that? And I'm a victim of that because I was used to seeing, you know, I was born in 82. So some of these movies came out before I was born, but you know, and then all the movies that came out after this, like big trouble, little China, they live uh, body bags in the mouth of madness, you know, uh, vampires, ghosts of Mars, Prince of Darkness, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all those movies to me, like I thought he was the horror guy. So I always kind of skipped Starman because I was like, what is this poser bullshit that John Carpenter is trying to do, you know? And, you know, it took me a long time as a cinephile to really appreciate the fact that artists sometimes don't like being pigeonholed, just like actors don't like to be typecast. Directors don't like to be pigeonholed into things so i i saw and, and like i said he did an elvis movie and he did a sci-fi movie but for the most part he was known as a horror guy so starman was kind of coming out of left field Wes craven has a very similar story where almost everything he did was a thriller or horror film and then in 1999 he took advantage of a contract with scream with the weinsteins and said you gave me a three-picture deal i'll make you scream too and then i get to make music of the heart with meryl streep uh, and there's a lot of similarities there um, because Starman is more of a, it is a sci-fi film. It does have some, I'm not going to say horror elements, but some things that are a little bit edgy for sci-fi. Like, you know, there's deers coming back to life and magic balls and all kinds of stuff. But for the most part, it's a, it's a very simple story of uh, we'll say a man out of time and place, even though he's not a man and a woman kind of finding love and, and finding the good things about nature and life and things like that. And, what finally got me to watch Starman uh, and to and to cast away my prejudice of the non-horror John Carpenter was uh, I had recently taken a trip in 2021 uh, to Behringer Crater, uh, which is a a kind of a climactic scene in the film takes place there, and I went into the gift shop and Starman was playing on the TV's in there. And I said, why are you guys playing Starman? They're like, you didn't know it was filmed here. And I, I felt deep shame as a cinephile. I was like, I didn't know that. They're like, no, Starman was filmed here and it was filmed just down the street in Winslow, Arizona and a lot of places. And I went, Holy crap, really? And I visited the crater and was mesmerized by it. And I noticed all these copies of Starman, like on regular DVD for like three 99 in the gift shop. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give Starman a shot. And I'm really glad that I did because I, I don't. I not only think that it's a great change of pace for John Carpenter, but I'm 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 comfortable with saying it's one of his best films as well. And I know maybe a lot of horror people out there think I'm crazy, but I think Starman is a wonderful, well put together, and important film. Nicely that done. Was, that was six minutes. I'm sorry. But, no, yeah. no, no, no. You had me at uh, what is this poser bullshit? You know, that's the way to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, um, I um, similar similar stuff for me. Where um, this was always um, I guess I, you're right. I come with it in a different angle, where in a, in a different place, where I I'm a romance movie guy. I, I eat that shit up like crazy. I eat that shit up probably like you eat it for. So this has always made a lot of people's lists like the generation older than me, like our folks and stuff like that, where they're like, oh, man, you got like I remember like my my high school friends parents who we hung around with a lot or just, you know, the 
have friends' houses you go to, stuff like that. They would always preach about this movie, Somewhere in Time, and Love Story. Like, it's like they're like the stuff that was like they're, or my mom loved American mm-hmm. graffiti and some stuff like that, where it was like, those are the things that were like, whatever they were, like the formative or the date night movies of their time or the things that were, that just mattered to them. Like, Ooh, this was something special. And I'm like, Starman, really? And then I, you know, same thing. I kind of tried to put a cinephile head on later in life thinking, all right, I could probably do that. And like, Whoa, was John Carpenter? That's like Halloween guy. And I'm not much of a horror guy. So I kind of always pushed it away. And, and Bridges to me at, at that moment was, you know, was the big Lebowski more than he ever was young, you know, young peak meat, Jeff Bridges to coin a term from the, uh, from our friends at the, uh, let's talk about flicks podcast, peak meat. Uh, they'll appreciate that one. Um, but no, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I came into it as, you know what, like I'm, I'm romantic. It, it doesn't take much for me to be a softie and put that movie on it and, and see what the, all the fuss is about in terms of being. And I heard what you heard at that point then where a departure from a horror guy to do something with a little bit more, a little more just substance to it. That's different than the usual, the usual MO. And I, I admit I was very impressed. And um, I think the draw for me with it was like, cause it's, it's still a very odd film you know to for the for the alien to come to do this and then to go on the journey of this or that or how 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 could you even jump into that situation and, and go for it if you're karen allen uh and i'm not normally an, an agency ruler when it comes to the, to women i let women measure their own agency but um i'm like what what would what would do it what would pull this off to make this story go and i keep and me being the every movie has a lesson guy how would i kind of rectify that in my head and i thought of um it's the physical cloning thing you know where when jeff bridges shows up uh as as you know the lost ex-lover of hers how i i if that were to happen to me how could i not entertain that possibility and from there in terms of like as a person who as my romantic history you know before this movie, it was my romantic movie history before watching Starman is, is stuff that I love, like ghosts, stuff that I love where there's, or even Brooklyn, where there's just all these, all, I love a good woulda, coulda, shoulda story when it comes to romances, because it's just the, whether it's the unrequited or the, you had it good for a while and then it was taken from you kind of thing, where I, those, I, I like that gateway into a, a romantic story of, of regret and, or, or just, um, or just restoration as well. So, it, yeah, if I'm if I'm Karen Allen and the 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 vestige of my lost man is in front of me and and with the possibilities of where it could go, yeah, I bet I would. I bet I would. I I would be conflicted and I'd have what Karen Allen has going on in that movie. But at the same time, I want to help. And how far would I go to derail my life to help what could possibly be a second chance at the love of my life? And I I enjoyed that emotionality at the same time as you have the 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 ethereal science fiction that's going on of, you know, I have to get here. I only have three days and this and that. And, and of course the balls and the things that the, the, the star man can do. And yeah, that journey is like a road movie at the same time as it is a, a romantic pining movie. I was sucked in and it, I like that it went in unconventional ways of, you know, she, she doubts it at first. She tries to give him enough advice to do it solo and get away, like, get away from me. You can do this yourself. I don't need to be here. And it's just going to put me through this and some of those parts. And then even, even if you're going to do the, well, eventually when they, when they kind of form their bond together, like, well, they're just going to get in bed, aren't they? And, and just, it's the foregone conclusions that you would think a romance like that would take 
they it doesn't or it or it has loftier goals in mind that I really appreciated because by the time you get to the end of this movie where in in our sequel rich you know culture that we have now someone would beg for this to keep going and I'm glad it doesn't because the 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 eyes to the sky high mark of where this movie's aiming with what the Starman did for her and what the implications are him messaging his plan and returning where he's at and all that. I, I love that heady stuff and I love it that it does it with a show um with a tell but don't show edge to it because I think if someone were to remake this movie today, they would blow it up to pieces. They would they would want to show off a lot of special effects, you know, maybe pay you know, think that you need a bigger payoff in different places. And I like that this movie just stays extremely intimate into just Karen Allen and, and and what Jeff Bridges does to kind of be this 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 shell of what was there in the the reformed and relearned version of what that alien is that just happens to look like you know a lost love and yeah that sort of melodrama sucked me in and then by the time you mystify it with some science fiction I enjoyed it quite a bit it, it still is a movie that is hard to grab onto where it's not a it's not the number one wheat fest in the world where you know you're just emotionally destroyed. It's not the headiest thing in the world where your 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 mind is blown in in other places. But sitting right in the middle in terms of combining those two brews together, I I I really appreciate it. Really enjoy it. It's made me want to um, appreciate Karen Allen and everything she does, but also um, Bridges coming out and doing just a different part for him. And it wants me. It makes me want to see what John Carpenter knew, obviously, in his more wheelhouse of horror and thriller. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you! All right, welcome back. Uh, yeah, well, I know I went more existential than that but uh i super oh, no. duper appreciate your arizona origin story part to that yeah well i'm glad you brought up the idea of you know his sense of what was it that you said it was that the I, I don't think you said patience but what was it you said that modern filmmakers wouldn't do today what was it that you said that they would um they would uh, oh what did i say um I'm yeah, I the tape. um they would blow it up with special effects. They would not. They would. They would make it. They would make it bigger. They would want the sci-fi implications. They would want. Right. right. They would want a, a, a crazier government chase. They would have. They would increase stakes for the sake of increasing stakes. I mean, you don't so, need to. So here's the here's the great thing about Carpenter. This is why I love John Carpenter, and I I think that even as a non-horror guy, you could really get into a lot of his films. Mm. Um, because the way that he shoots films for, first of all, he's a, he's a, he's a widescreen guy. He likes to use as much of the screen as possible. Um, and that's the thing, his horror movies look this good too. Um, Mm. because he, he uses that same style. Now, the thing about that style uh, that works so well for Starman, because Starman, it it involves a lot of grandiose things, you know, like uh, a lot of landscapes and traveling around america and a lot of countries but the 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 things that he's really good at as a director this is why halloween's not only my favorite horror film of all time but a top five film for me all time is because he has this amazing ability to 
capture setting in place and, and really put you in there and with a lot of patience. I, I've seen Halloween with a more modern audience and they find it boring. And mm. to me, it's not because um, it, it's, it's one of those movies and a lot of his movies are like this where you don't necessarily, you're not just necessarily watching something. You kind of feel like you're in that environment, the way he uses yeah. shot selection and space. Like, like I feel like I'm in those neighborhoods in Halloween in the fog. I feel like I'm on the beaches in these Island cities. Um, Christine, you know, I feel like I'm in high school. The thing is isolated out there in the middle of Antarctica or wherever the hell it is. Uh, Prince of darkness is almost exclusively just in a church. Um, there's a lot of stuff that he uses that space to, make you kind of get enveloped in that environment. I think Starman's very important to that. And I think that's why he was a perfect choice. Michael Douglas did a great job of being like, yeah, let's use Carpenter. Let's use that aesthetic, but you know, make it a little bit bigger because a lot of this is big. I don't know if you've ever been to Arizona, but when you drive out here outside of the city, I mean, mm-hmm. it is a, and the, the landscape wa- is huge. Yeah. The, it's yeah. a wide, wide world out there. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. you, it's almost like I, I'm not, I'm not going to compare it to like New Zealand and Lord of the Rings, but like if you're driving as a passenger, you know, uh, going through the mountains up to Flagstaff or Sedona or Greer or anything, I mean, you can see the mountains in front of you. You can see mountains behind yeah. those and you can see kind of faded mountains away in the background. I mean, it's just kind of an endless landscape that is just wide yeah. and huge and you feel very small. And I think um, Starman, uh, even though it does have a lot of, um, connections to ET in a way because they were coming out about the same time. And actually, I was doing yeah, some research. I feel bad for Star- these movies competing each other, against each other. Well, yeah, because right. that was the problem. Is a lot of people left this project because it was too similar to ET. And I mm-hmm. think I think that uh, when you have a, a, a very distinctive director like John Carpenter, he can make it his own thing without it being like a replication of it. I agree. But this, is, I mean, anyways, if you want to dismiss this as ET for adults, it's better than that. Yeah, but I will say that he is if if you enjoy John Carpenter doing this, mm-hmm. I, I think you'll see why he's considered a legend of the genre of horror because well, sure. he brings that sensibility to uh, cuz I mean for God's sake, I mean he created the tropes of Halloween. I mean, things like Friday the 13th exist because ho- they they even outright say like, "Oh, yeah, we were just ripping off Halloween." Like Halloween was like the the beginning of this and uh, mm-hmm. of the, the horror films that we know. So I, I think if you watch it now, you're going to be surprised. You're going to be like, oh, I see now. Like, so I know yeah. you haven't watched Halloween yet, which is a crime. But I'm um, getting there. But like it's it has that scope and that feel kind of that blankety feel like where you you can almost smell the leaves in Haddonfield and Halloween, just like you can almost touch the grass in Starman or feel that wind or the clouds or whatever. It's just, he's just such a, he's such an environmental director. Like yeah. he just, it's such and a I so think good that's, space and feeling. And it, as a, I mean, I don't want to call this a throwback because in its day in 1984, doing that wasn't, you know, a trailblazing thing like it would be today. Today, yeah, I'm serious. Uh, they would they would green screen this. You would not find a sure. natural environment to shoot this in. You wouldn't go into the rurals and have your road movie. You would be it would be a carnage set. You know, you would 
yep. you would find you wouldn't go out to this crater if you did it with Matt, you know, they would mat it up and, de- you know, digitally paintbrush it every way they could to make it just grander than it than more than it needed to be, which is silly because it looks just great. And yep. yeah, just the sim- like the I don't want to say throwback simplicity, but just the I I I see and appreciate the natural the natural the natural look that he gives this and and that's I think that's what the, I think modern filmmakers take those shortcuts like oh we'll just fix it in post you know like no 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 sure. go out and find the most ideal light the most ideal location and you don't have to be Roger Deakins to do it you just got to do your homework and and find those spots meet on your location managers and make a frame a good movie make a good movie and not just paint one in post. Yeah, I mean, it's, I know that you say that it's, you know, it would, I mean, it would definitely, I agree with you, it definitely would be, like, bold and out of, out of place in this day and age, uh, in terms of that, because I think um, the reason why I like Jordan Peele's Nope so much is he does, he does uh, take that, uh, not only does he take, like, a lot of Spielberg with him with Nope, but he also does a lot of Carpenter, too, in terms of just that mm-hmm. grand scale, of that widescreen, you know, scale of, like, getting the yeah. whole space in there. Um, but I know, you, I know you said that it was it, – it's a throwback, but I actually think it is in a way because uh, – even then, because I think that that style of filmmaking was kind of out of style because you did have more, you know, with – when you got rid of the Cecil B. DeMille's and the studio system in the fifties and you started these people doing more guerrilla filmmaking stuff in the sixties, like I think of a film that I actually think a lot of with this is easy rider actually, where it's okay. shot entirely on location, but it's more handheld and kind of guerrilla and rustic and not rustic, but just kind of, you know, it, it's grimy and, and, and very like gritty and detailed. This is mm-hmm. not that, but what I like about this, that was, um, going out of style, you know, at that time in the eighties and stuff like that was that kind of almost grandiose filmmaking style of the fifties where you had cinema scope and these huge cameras and 70 millimeter screens. And, you know, you'd have stuff like the 10 commandments that was just massive. Like it was almost yeah. like IMAX before IMAX. This kind of brings, and that's what he was, that's what Carpenter was doing. He was kind of, bringing an old school style of filmmaking to these proceedings. So that's why I think he's an outlier because he was making films, at least from a physical point, a visual palette point differently than people were at that time. Um, The only reason why I mentioned easy rider in connection with it in terms of a similarity is because uh, I, I like the idea that they went out to all these locations. Like they weren't, pretending mm-hmm. like Arizona was like seven different states. Like they actually yeah. traveled. This would be Georgia today. You know, everything. Yeah, they, like exactly. They traveled around the country to capture this look and feel, you know, and actually went to the Behringer or whatever the hell it's called. The, the, the creator. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these places is not, it's not just one location subbing in for all of it. You know, it's at, they actually took the time to, um, visit like I think seven or eight different locations and get that feel of that American, you know, landscape, you know? And I think that's just brilliant. I I think it's, and we're, we're only, I'm only talking about the visual stuff because I also think the story is great too, but I just think that like the thing I was missing and the reason why I left this out 
Starman out for so long was because I did have these preconceived prejudice of, you know, that he's the horror guy. Why the hell is he making this romance? And it, you know, it took it took me being older and finally giving it a shot to be like, holy shit, what was I missing? Because this is actually a brilliant film and it uses all of the skills that he has. Um, it just it's just a different genre and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, I think if I would have watched this as a younger man, I it would have been like it yeah, either the sappiness or the the you know the the perception of sappiness or the 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 the, the, the methodicalness of the, the road trip would I it would be lost to me. But um mm-hmm. watching it when I did with 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 more mature eyes and and a head for romance, I was yeah, I really appreciate it and I'm trying to uh, when I think of like comparative things and like what little movies kind of just like find you know romance and sci-fi is hard to find anyway or at least romance that isn't just you know bottled up we're stuck on the same ship kind of romance but but this like more existential level of like you know soulmate level kinds of things like i'm trying to think like um did you ever see tom cruise's like oblivion i've always wanted to i have not seen it yet no yeah he's got like um like he has this like Un, like he can't explain this bond to uh Olga Kurlyenko's character that he has, even mm-hmm. though he's married to Andrew uh, Reisenbaugh's character, and he can't figure it out and explain why he's drawn the way he's drawn. But when it's revealed, it doesn't feel as big as just the simplicity of, man, you you look you look just like the man who left me, and you're standing right in the place where my man left me, and just some just simple, simple simplicity. Mm-hmm. Of of effect is all you need, and if that means you play on someone's grief, it it, it works. It, it that's the reason yeah. why it does. So, well, and this is this is the this is the sad thing in a way. I, I don't say it's sad because I, I think uh, Carpenter continued to make a couple of really awesome films after this. Uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. quite as bang 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 as it was before Starman, but sure. I mean, he he did have some incredible films after this, like uh, like They Live and In the Mouth of Madness, which I particularly love, and Ghost of Mars, which I think is underrated. But he had a little bit more misses here and there. Um, but I do wish, and this is the same thing that happened to Wes Craven, and I think this does affect this does affect the, kind of the way they were telling stories because Carpenter is in general a writer director, you know, he mm. kind of is in charge of writing, directing his stuff. Like he's not like a yeah. gun for hire thing who only brings the visual element. Like he usually, it, that's why almost everything is John Carpenter's this John Carpenter's that, because right. even when he did Christine, he was John Carpenter's Christine, even though it's Stephen King book because he made it his own thing, you know, but uh, that's kind of why he always has that at the front of all his movies. Cause they're very much a him thing. And I, I wish that I think because Starman, because of perhaps the overall perception that's derivative of ET, and the fact that it did not perform well at the box office, you know, uh, Carpenter was kind of forced to go back into what would give him, you know, what would be most successful with his name brand, you know, mm-hmm. so because. He did have the 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 thing is about the thing is that was a huge failure also, but has become such a huge cult classic that everyone thinks is important. 
that it kind of has gone back in time and people are like, oh, it's a, it's a genius masterwork. But at the time, people yeah. hated it. He, he had to make Christine as almost as a director for hire just to get money to live. But after Starman, because I think of its failure, like he had to he he pretty much just made he, he would make some quirky things like Big Trouble Little China is kind of a quirky thing, but it is also very like dedicated to the, the Kung Fu genre. And Memoirs of an Invisible Man was kind of a big flop that was kind of a mixture of like that old universal monster versus like a new comedy thing. But for the most part, his biggest hits after that point were horror films. And he has this thing called the apocalypse trilogy, which started with the thing, which is before Starman, but continued with Prince of darkness and in the mouth of madness, where you can kind of see his worldview get a little bit more cynical and okay. Um, I'm not going to say angry, but it it seems like a lot of the stuff that happens in his movies at this point are like kind of devoid of like good people and heroic situations. And the world is kind of just fucked and everyone's out for themselves. And that's why I called it the apocalypse trilogy because it's just man's man messing with something to the point of destroying themselves. And it, you know, it, it, there's a lot more social commentary and things like that. Whereas before Starman, a lot of this stuff was very simple. Halloween was just, there okay. happened to be this dude out there who was uh, the embodiment of evil and someone had to stop him. And the fog was, there was kind of the, these creatures out in the fog that were cursed and were trying to get the curse upheld and just things like that. Very isolated. So uh, the same thing happened to Wes Craven too. Like he got to do his movie that he wanted to do the, the, um, the non-horror movie that he did. And oddly enough, a little trivia for you here, both Starman for Carpenter and Music of the Heart for Wes Craven are the only films for those directors that received Oscar nominations. Uh, no, no film they ever directed, uh, mostly because they were predominantly horror films, were ever nominated yeah, for I was going to say, that's the slide in the genre there. Yeah, which, yeah. which is an absolute bummer. And they, yeah. somewhere, someone needs to, as a collective voting body change that. And I wish they would, but man, I'm right. But so Starman Jeff Bridges got nominated for best actor. And then in music of the heart, I think it got like best original song nomination and Meryl Streep, of course, because that was when she was getting nominated for anything she would just be in. Uh, but anyways, right. my, my point is, is that like, I think when these, when these guys get typecast and kind of have to swerve in this direction, because Wes Craven happened too, he, he never got to make, anything other than horror again he got to mess with like he did that movie red eye which is excellent and that's more of a thriller mm -hmm. than yeah. a horror film but he never could like he could just never get out of that no one would give him a break to be like direct other things and you could tell like Wes craven would get angry and angry by the time his last film came out scream four scream four is fun but it's also like one of his most like mean-spirited movies like the kills in it are just gruesome and horrific and everyone's mean and just and I, I feel like the same thing happened to carpenter after this i mean i could be wrong i don't know but you know he did get to make kind of his gonzo weird kung fu film after this but for the most part he just he never was able to get that i, I want to say i'm not gonna say prestigious uh, situation mm -hmm. because i think horror films just like i defend marvel films are art forms in themselves but in terms of the public eye, like he was never given another star man because yeah. they were like, well, you're John Carpenter. Now you got to keep make, stay in your lane, you know? Mm. And it's a, it's a shame because Starman is, I think a wonderful 
populist film. Like I think it's like you said, it's 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 for you, it could be for sci-fi fans, it could be for horror fans, it could be for romance guys and girls, it could be for older people, younger people. Like it's a very populist film. Right. And I think given the right circumstances of the right marketing or came out at a different time, we could be looking at a whole different John Carpenter. But at this point, John Carpenter hasn't made a film since 2010. And, you know, he's just burned out on the whole process. And I don't blame him because virtually with the exception of um, Big Trouble in Little China, he's, even though he's made some masterful films, like They Live to me is like, one of the greatest horror films if or sci-fi films in the mouth of madness is my second favorite film he ever made. But for the most part, he just got burned out, you know, and I wonder yeah. what would happen if Starman was a success, because I think it shows that he is not just a horror director. He's a director, you know? Yeah. Do you think this movie made today would, would fly I mean, made just as it is today? Like not not with today's whiz bang effects and like I'm talking about, but like, yeah, um, an understated saying, science fiction romance, you know. If you're saying the movie was made as John Carpenter made it, obviously with more updated visual effects and things like that, sure, but of course, yeah, but um, the but in small, terms of like scale, location, this... yeah, location yeah. shooting, widescreen, it would definitely be a. A rarity, and I think it would be a huge cult hit because I agree. I th- head turner and cult hit, yeah. I th- I think of some things now, like uh, for instance, there was a horror film that came out earlier this year that I finally just saw called X. Yeah, um, with uh, it was Ty West, uh, mm-hmm. and that one that one has a very old school feel because it's it's all location. There's no, I think there's CGI blood like once, but for the most sure. part, it's very understated like a lot of Ty West films understated slowly paced takes advantage mm-hmm. of the space that you're in and I think it did okay because they marketed it a lot differently than the well, film well. actually was yeah. it did well but I don't think it's like one of those films that like it, it wasn't like a sensation you know it's like I think it's one of those things like 10 years from now people are gonna be like oh you remember X that was great like yeah. especially with a girl following it up right Right, and there's going to be another one too. I understand there's going to be a third mm-hmm. one in that trilogy, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Is something like that okay. is is not something that's going to be in the mainstream. I think X is still it did it did well, but I think it mostly if if I'm correct, I think it mostly okay. did well with the horror community. It's it yeah. wasn't a it wasn't a crossing the border didn't quite thing cross where, over where it went yeah. over to and other things, Pearl- you know. Has Pearl made more money than X at this point too? And it could be like the sequel, could be. which went even more prequel, might be doing pretty well. No, yeah. So I mean, it might not be yeah, the, it, it might not be the greatest example, but it is one where mm-hmm. I think that in this niche culture we live in, I think that yeah. Starman, if it was made like this today, especially if it was made by Carpenter, too, who hasn't right. made a movie in a long time, I think this thing would be beloved in very small circles. Um, okay. Because, um, I mean, when you think about it, mm-hmm. okay, so E.T. came out, what, 82, right? 40 years 82. ago. So I was I was born yeah. in 82, 40 years. Starman is, uh, I think Starman was finished, it's 84, right? Yep. That's, that's when it was released, but I think it was actually finished, like, 81 or something. I remember reading that. Or, or 82. Like, it was finished around the time E.T. was. And I think they shelved it for a while because 
E.T. came out. And actually, I think I read in the research that the studio that was making both films had to let one go. And they were like, yeah, we'll stick with Starman. It'll make more money. And then E.T. went to another studio and, mm-hmm. of course, changed the world. But um, I think it was delayed. So, I, But when you think about it, it's kind of like, I mean, we get these kind of films all the time. I, I think of uh, an example that comes to my head, off the top of my head, is I remember when Wedding Crashers came out alongside 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah. 40-Year-Old, 40-year-old Virgin is still like, one of my all-time favorite comedies, and I think it and Wedding Crashers, I think, initially made more money. I think oh, easily, easily but, made more money. But it was kind of like a dying genre of of the yeah, type of comedy that it was, thing, right? Yeah. Right, and because Forty Year Virgin, Appetite was doing more progressive things for sure at that point, right? And and compared Forty Year Virgin, actually, sophomore. yeah, and and Forty Year Virgin actually kind of changed the industry because then there was a lot of comedies just like his. A lot of imitators, mm-hmm. and that's and that's fine. I don't mind that because sometimes you find some diamonds in the rough. That's going to happen with any trend, yeah. right? So yeah. here's I think, your box office just for fun. Here, Wedding Crashers made two hundred eighty-eight million U.S. dollars. Forty Year Virgin, no slouch, especially for comedies with both of these being likely very low budgeted, one hundred seventy-seven. And yeah. then when I look at Starman, Star Starman yeah. came out uh, the same opening weekend. It opened at number six. Uh, yep. Dune. Came out the same weekend. It was one week after Peter Hyams' uh, 2010, The Year We Make Contact, so the 2001 mm-hmm. sequel. So just stuck in a, you know, sci-fi is the hot flavor trend where it could easily right. get lost in the shuffle. That's what I'm saying. You would think that at that time with E.T. kind of, you know, if if Spielberg changed the blockbuster and the horror film and the thriller with Jaws, he also changed the game for sci-fi in a lot of ways um, with E.T., you would mm-hmm. think with Starman being on the shelf and ready to go that it would be an instant hit, even if it was we you and I both agree it's not derivative of ET. There there's some no, s- similarities, but Carpenter makes it his own thing. But even so, you would think it'd be a huge hit because it's riding that wave of the ET copycats or whatever you want to say. Yeah. But for some reason it just did not click. You know, it did not click with audiences and uh so we know it didn't work back then. I think it would work now, but in this niche community we're in where, you know, it's, you know, uh, it's Marvel and everybody else, you know, it's, I think it would have its fans, but I do not think it would be a box office success. I do not think it would be anything other than a cult, mm-hmm. um, a cult thing. Um, you know, now I think it's considered a, like where where would you think Starman? Like if I don't think it's not something you could talk to the kids about and be like, hey, you know Starman? They'll be like, what? But like, no, I, I think, yeah, it's a, I think it's cinema a people classic. know what it is. Yeah, cinema people know what it is, but at the same time, cinema people don't give it a lot of uh, credit and credence because it's still from the horror guy. You know, it's still right. from Carver. Sure, sure. So it's it's lower on the list of your typical cult classics. Like I think especially from a guy who's made so many quote unquote cult classics. Like sure. if people are going to invoke the name of John Carpenter, you're, you're going down the list a long way until you get to Starman. Because like you said, between big trouble, little China and they live in the thing he's in Halloween. Of course, he's got so many where you have to go down a ways to get to here. Like this is us talking about yeah. Spielberg and uh, some middle title, you know, like catch me if you can. 
where you know yeah. just a weird little departure super you know while that movie's a big success compared to where this one just this one made it an admirable 28 and a half million bucks in its domestic run which is you know really good compared to a small i guess the budget was 24 so this is a break-even movie for for carpenter but uh yeah, yeah. i mean being that I, I think what keeps it standing out is the departure from his his mo and and i think being a pretty darn good decent love story where love stories will always have a timeless you know, will sure. always last um yep. I, i'm glad that that's been the fuel for its cultness yeah and you know it's it's a shame too about carpenter because he was kind of like that um he kind of had that i i would not i'm not gonna say a tarantino thing but i'd say more of like a kevin smith thing where sure. like you know kevin smith he made clerks for like what ten thousand dollars or something and it, it yeah. made like yeah. six million so like it was like a ginormous success halloween was the same way like halloween he made very cheap and it just kept building and building to the point where it was this mega hit. I mean, it was, it was, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how the numbers compare with inflation, but it was a huge hit. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you know? it would and, spike. Yeah. And, and especially compared to his budget. But, you know, when you think of someone like a John Carpenter or even a, um, uh, like a David Lynch, stuff like that, like there's, it's really hard to find a hit for him because even his most mm. famous films, I mean, other than Halloween, like the fog, the thing, Starman, you know, things like they live in big trouble. I mean, those were all like yeah. not they, they box office failures. successes yeah. and towards the end of his career. So like, to me, like his second best film is in the mouth of madness, which came out in 94, I believe. Let me see. Okay. 94. After that, he just kind of had like, like I said, he just kept making these films that I think people wanted him to make. He did Village of the Dam, which I actually kind of like, but people hated. It's with Christopher Reeve. I think it was one of his last movies before he was mm-hmm. paralyzed. Uh, he did yeah. Escape from L.A., which is virtually a remake of Escape from New York. Yeah. He did Vampires with James Woods, which is fun, but like not great. And then he did Ghosts of Mars, mm-hmm. which I enjoy for what it is, because it's kind of like an old school, like 50s Western sci-fi. But uh, you could tell that like, I think it was, I don't know if it was Miramax, probably. I, it's I like can't remember off the top. Miramax, like yeah, point. something like yeah. that. They, they, you could tell because there's moments where like characters are talking and then oh, it'll Sony start, screen it, gems. Yeah. Oh, Sony screen gems. So, so characters will be talking and then it'll like, they'll be on different sides of the room and then the scene will just cut to them next to each other talking like a scene transition. Cause you could tell like the filmmakers were like, we don't want the John Carpenter style where, everyone takes their time. We want to bang, 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 fast, fast, fast. Mm-hmm. It's like really like odd. So he just, I, he just got to the point where he just stopped making movies. Like he was just like, I can't do this anymore. And it's just kind of a shame because yeah, it's, you do have a great artist in there that I think could with, with chances like Starman, I, I'm trying to think, is there, is there someone you can think of that was given, I'm trying, I'm trying to think if there's a comparison of, of a director that was given, like multiple chances to kind of do something different and then did push through. Like, can you think of anybody that did get that opportunity? Ooh, um, like, let's see here. I've, I've just not to put dead air in a podcast. Uh, yeah, no, it's fine. Just think about given it. Yeah, chances not, to, to do things. Think. Yeah. Um, so chances to do things different and then push through with something like Starman, where like the departure became the, yeah, frame like, it a I mean, little differently he, for you. 
Well, yeah. So, because I'm trying to think, like, I, I feel like there is a director out there that was given, like, that was doing something, was given a chance to do something different, and either didn't succeed the first time, but got okay. c- kept getting chances, and then eventually got through. I'm trying to think. I mean, because I can think of ones where there was a director that did a certain type of film and then hit it big doing something else. Like for instance, uh, what's the guy who did um, the big short? Um, oh, Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Like I can think of somebody like that. All where... soft, those are all your sophomore comedies make yep. a topical dramedy or satire. And then obviously right. look at him. Yeah. He's so that, I mean, that's, sure. that's one where it pulled up, but I'm trying to think if there was anybody who like, he just kept pushing to make a film he or she kept pushing to make a film mm. the way they wanted to. I, I don't know. I should have researched it, but because I feel like there's a lot of cases like John Carpenter, Wes Craven, where they get a shot, it doesn't work, and then they're relegated to whatever they're known for for the rest of their career. I, I almost feel oh, like there's got to be somebody out there who got a shot, you know, like and, and kept getting the I mean, shot multiple times. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Do, um, oh, who's a big name that has kind of become pedestrian or like after having their spot um i mean in terms of like romantic departure kind of stuff mm-hmm. i think of like and this is a small potatoes kind of thing but like nick cassavetes you know yeah. son of john he made like yeah. she's so lovely kind of a, a you know a sean penn robin wright penn kind of like clashing romance and then he made john q you know a denzel washington big starring thing but then then all of a sudden he cranks out the notebook you know which was oh, massive then he then he went to like yeah. Alpha Dog, which was like the Justin Timberlake gritty, druggy, you know, teen, teen angsty thing. And then my sister's keeper went to the cancer stuff, and he's kind of been in and out, really doing television or other stuff since. But um, yeah. maybe another person would be somebody like um, I'm trying. I have all these small potato people like um, oh man, maybe like I don't know. Or here, maybe like all right, Gregory Hoblet. Who did like he's an NYPD Blue TV guy. He would do like mm-hmm. LA Law, Hill Street Blues, and then he cracked into film with um like Cop Rock and Rovers his way, but then like his big hit that got him out there was like Primal Fear. And then he did mm. Primal Fear, Fallen, Frequency, Fallen the Denzel Washington one, Frequency, the time travel one with uh Cavisel and Quaid. Then he yeah. did got got you know, and then like Hearts War with Willis and Farrell was supposed to be kind of that prestige thing. Went back to like Fracture with a young Gosling in, I think that was Hopkins, where yeah, he kind of beat his head in the wall with some stuff and then caved and went to television ever since 20, 2008. So uh, uh, I yeah, mean, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of like uh, I'm thinking of like I can see the opposite too, where like uh you have someone like like a Martin Brest, right? That does like yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Midnight Cop. Run, Son of a Woman, Son of a Woman, and then like does something like bizarre, like Meet Joe Black and Geely, oh, and then it never Black. makes movies again. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, a good like, one. Yeah, where like, so can, something, the departure was so weird it washed him out of Hollywood. Yeah, that's so I can see the opposite, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking. I guess I'm just hoping that there's a story like that because for every mm-hmm. brilliant filmmaker, I mean, I know that um, a lot of a lot of my friends. Uh, are I have a lot of great Wes Craven like acolytes, and then there's some people that are very critical of him because he wasn't a very visual director. He was more of an ideas and screenwriter kind of director. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because for example, like Nightmare on Elm Street is is fascinating, and I, I do I do find a lot of visual stuff in it uh, beautiful. But other directors that have a little bit more visual flair were able to push that idea to a different stratosphere uh, than he was, and uh, with the exception of. I think Scream, which I think the first 10 minutes is probably some of the greatest cinema ever put on yeah. film, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, he wasn't like a dynamic visual guy, so a lot of people discredit him for that. But like Carpenter obviously has the visual chops, but they just what never... About, um, what about your guy, Jonathan Frakes? He directs, well, I mean... two, he directs two Star Trek movies. Kind of does well. a little hop, skip, and a jump with, with did very well. First Contact was great. And then he yeah. did like Clock Stoppers, but then he's been washed out of Hollywood, at least for feature films, since Thunderbirds. Since Thunderbirds. But then yeah. makes, mean, his he, in, yeah. makes his hay in TV doing Roswell and Leverage and Castle and, and CIS. Like he's been a hired oh, hand, yeah. you know, film oh, director sure. or TV director for a long time here. So yeah, he was, like, can he ever, like, I would love to see him get another bite at a feature apple. I just, I just never but, think it'll happen. I think something happens with these guys. You know, like I said, I, I think... Also, there's money to be made in TV and steady work, too. I get... Especially yeah, nowadays. I, so I get that. And I think... I think with Frakes... I mean, because Starman was uh, Carpenter's 10th film. You know, mm. so... And I think, like, uh, uh, Music of the Heart for Craven, that was, like, his, like, 19th film or something. So yeah. they did have, like, a big filmography to fall back on so they could at least keep making feature films in the genre of their choice of the genre that they're known for. I think someone like Jonathan Frakes, Jonathan Frakes, who's known will always be known as a Star Trek guy. The fact that Mm -hmm. his first two films are Star Trek and then the other two were kids films, one of which bombed horribly. Yeah. I don't think he's got enough filmography in his back pocket to like, be like, okay, I can make Star Trek films or, or or sci-fi films you know like he just he just got on the blacklist and i don't think he'll ever be back yeah i'll Um, throw another one out there last one i'll throw out is uh frank darabont like makes it i mean he directorial debuts woman in the room but then of course shawshank is massive stays in that wheelhouse with green mile tries his own thing with the majestic stomped out of hollywood doesn't make anything until he goes back to the mist you know and I like I love yeah. Majestic too. So. I love Majestic. Like, that's I love that's your washout moment. What's well, that? the other I love the Mist. I love Majestic oh, and sure. the Mist. I think they're both excellent. But me too. I think the I think the problem with Darabont is he was one of those. Um, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head as a comparison is from an actor, but like somebody like a Lupita Nyong'o who's like so huge okay. in their first like mainstream thing that they become an a-lister mm-hmm. overnight i think That's true when darabont because darabont was a, a another horror guy he wrote a lot of like yeah. horror screenplays he, he did the re, he the did blob, the remake of the blob yep. fly two three nightmare three like so he he was a horror guy but he did have some films that he made i believe as a director like one or two films pretty under mm-hmm. the radar not huge things but then bam shawshank and it was like yeah suddenly he's a-list Best yep. Picture nominee. He's the writer too, so make me prestige screenplays. Same right. year he so, wrote Mary Kelly's Frankenstein. So, yeah, like so I, I, I kind of feel like with him, it was more, he never got that chance to 
grow into the prestige guy so that I think he almost, it's almost like he priced himself out of filmmaking. Like, because no one wanted to pay him the prestige money to make films. No one wanted him to make, like he, he wanted to make his own things, obviously. And Mm -hmm. people probably didn't want that because they wanted more, you know, frankly, Stephen King adaptations. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he, I mean, because really of his, mm-hmm. of his four huge films, three of them are mm-hmm. Stephen King films, Stephen King right. adaptations. So I think, and, and when you hear about kind of the struggles he had on the Walking Dead series, yeah, like, yeah. I, I think he just, and he actually made a, an announcement on the Mick Garris podcast, Mick Garris, a, kind of a famous B-level director, horror director, that he's just retired from filmmaking. I think, I think he got I too hot too fast. Point, sure. sure. I, he got too hot too fast, and I think he became too much of a name to the point where he really couldn't get financing for stuff. And and then also, I don't think The Mist or... First of all, a lot of people thought The Mist was like a remake of The Fog, which it wasn't. But mm-hmm. um, Majestic did not do well. And I don't think the Mist did well, but and there was a huge gap between those two, wasn't there? Wasn't the Majestic yeah, like two thousand, two thousand one or something? Or yeah, and then uh, Mist was like two thousand seven. Large gap, yeah. And then at that point, I don't think he ever made another movie, right? I mean, he has not. Mist was it? Yeah, and that's fifteen so, years like. No. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of like that uh, free agent player that's too good to be paid the minimum, but not good enough to be actually on contract. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, I, I mean think there. he just, he, he burnt too bright, too fast for productions. You know, I think like I said, Carpenter had with the exception of Halloween, um, you know, he had some huge flops and some cult classics, but not great. You know, like no one's going to tap David Lynch to direct, you know, a $60 million film because, all his mm-hmm. movies tank at the box office, you know, except right. for, you know, the occasional one here or there. But um, so it's it's just a, I, I don't know, like sometimes it's a prestige thing. So I think people want to be involved in a David Lynch film at this point. So they, they'll fund it, even though it has no chance sure. of recouping money. And I think with Carpenter, like if any, like, you know, if I think somebody like a Bloom House or yeah somebody another... somebody today would find would would give him a, a creative license you know like not a big budget because he yeah. doesn't need to a24 right. yeah they're doing the robert eggers Ari Aster thing where it's hard to hard to get a leg in. Bloomhouse would respect him enough especially with the well, way they're financing yeah. these Halloween movies so well and at this point i mean he's i mean at this point, he's all about music anyway. Like he tours around with right. his son and he's been doing scores he, for out in movies. And, yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, there's that thing, but I, I do. Yeah. It, it, I do feel like you can get eaten up and shoot out a lot and not get that second chance because um, I think, I think someone that will see go down this route eventually is mm-hmm. someone like Denny Villeneuve? I think will go down this route where he's going to he's going to start there. Well, because he's going to start making films that maybe are prestigious, but they're not going to make money anymore. Um, they're overinflated. Dune, like D- Dune is going to do it. Dune's going to cost so much money. It's going to yeah, be yeah. 
fair to Midland at the box office, and they're gonna be like, he's gonna have to deflate back down to what got him good, which was intense character stuff. Right. And I don't know, like, I'm okay with Blade Runner 2049, obviously my favorite film, but, um, you know, that was obviously not a box office success. Yeah. But it was also a um, big yeah. step up of of scope and scale from what from the yeah. bread and butter that got him there. No, no one's so that's, there that's too. The tough, that's the tough part because for me, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is what I'm saying. Blade Runner twenty forty nine is to me my favorite film. But like you said, mm-hmm. it is a big step from Sicario. You know, in oh, terms yeah. of scale and scope, and he wouldn't have had that chance without those smaller things, and it didn't work out financially. But then he does get Dune, which I didn't mm-hmm. love, but. And despite the COVID made some money, but I I think he's going to get to that point where he's going to be too big, too big, but too uh, cerebral for mainstream success. But he's, he's not going to be able to go back small either because he's used to having these 200 million budget, you know, art films, essentially. Him and Nolan. Him and Nolan. Yeah. Or if if he makes this... Or if ahead, he makes sorry. his small stuff, he's going to, have to do it himself. He's going to have to pull a Spielberg and pretend to make the post, you know, and, <laughs> and someone and someone will take it. But let's be honest, he's still he's making prestigious things with getting his friends to play, you know, act for scale. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you and I both agree uh, using Spielberg as an example that, you know, at least until West Side Story, in my opinion, he was kind of in a rut where it was like, yeah, he's totally. going through the motions of paint by number prestige stuff. Um, mm-hmm. because I mean, a lot of those films that are nominated for best picture, I'm kind of like, like the they're, like they're Bridge of Spies, yeah. or yeah. you know, I mean, War Horse, I love, but you love War Horse, but I mean, that that, that to I me do. is not a best picture nominee. Like it's no, no, fine film, yeah. but not a best picture now. Right. So it just, I I, I think Villeneuve is going to be on that list, and he's going to make he's going to make something so big. I'm not going to say he's going to make like a Heaven's Gate kind of thing. With Michael mm-hmm. Cimino, like where it destroys the studio, he's not going to pull yeah. a Rennie Harlan with Cutthroat Island, where it destroys the studio. But I think, yeah. I think I think that it's I think it's going to get to the point where, you know, I mean, unless Dune Part Two comes out and is this, this massive success, which I don't see because I don't Same. think pe- I don't think people like cerebral sci-fi. In terms mm-hmm. of a mass populace, I don't think. Yeah, that was like, my, that's me, my the original yeah. question with Starman. Could this roll today? You know, yeah, yeah. It I, counts I as cerebral think... sci-fi. This isn't special effects driven sci-fi, other than some blue balls and little things to do. But um, yeah. I call them blue balls. Sorry, silver balls. I didn't want to okay. hurt your yeah. hurt your hurt your manhood. That's okay. It's been hurt enough. I uh, but um, no, yeah. I, I I'm trying to think if there's anybody else too that's getting to that point where. Ooh, Spielberg, well, to me, Spielberg's been Spielberg, there, done that. No, no one never, in Villeneuve are right are right there. Um, I think you're gonna get. I hate to say it, Jordan Peele could get there if it in the wrong. You know, like, I don't whatever, doubt it. I don't. If the I next don't thing, doubt that. Yeah, like if the next thing that comes his way gets a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger, and at some point he's gonna be an overinflated brand. Shyamalan's mm-hmm. already crashed and burned from hitting a height similar where. He's going to get sure. Jordan Peele is going to make some romantic or he's going to make he's going to make Keanu. He's going to make a comedy again. And we're going to be like, wait, 
what happened to you, Jordan Peele? We loved yep. you when you did this, but but he's like, but I wanted to do this, and now I have the cachet to do this, and then people won't let him because yeah. it's not what they. I mean, like. he's already he's already they've already done that gamble once and it succeeded because um, right. I mean because I think I think I think Get Out was maybe what ten million if that to make mm-hmm. yeah maybe, yeah like, or eight yeah, million or something and well, and mm-hmm. and us was like ten million. But nope, but you're right. It's was, when the budgets go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nope was sixty million. I mean, yeah, or more. At some point, sixty or eighty million. Up. So I don't know. I mean, that's a huge jump. Like from yeah, that get out budget was four and a half million dollars. That's fantastic. What was that? Was get out? You said get out was four and a half. Four and a half million. Nope okay. Got to be up there in the yeah. Yeah, and I and you can tell. I mean, I I, I recently bought the Blu-ray. I don't buy a yep. lot of physical media. But you can tell too, because I mean, us mm-hmm. like a lot of horror us was, directors. Us was twenty, modest, okay. doable. Well, but modest. But, you get to, yeah, but like get out in us, like any great horror director, they they take advantage of things like scenery and environment to heighten a production level. I mean, because I think mm-hmm. us looks phenomenal for oh gosh i love it the, yeah. for, for that for that yeah. budget it looks it mm-hmm. looks like a hundred million dollars to yeah to stay in the valley at the lake house like they they knew how to yeah. keep cross low while still giving you setting and scope yeah you couldn't make nope for 20 million no. or 4.5 no. million because or if you do it, it's well i'll tell you yeah. what i've seen a movie that looks to me better than nope uh for that cost probably a fifth of that, and it's uh, the vast of night. Vast of night. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say vast. Well, I, that's the thing. Vast Similar of night has is. has the atmosphere. I do agree with that, but yeah. but unlike something like Jaws, and this is where I, I think this is why I love Nope so much is is mm-hmm. Peel still knows how to put the restraints on. He doesn't make it all about the creature the whole time. He picks yeah. his moments yeah. when to show it, but. Because he has that big budget and he has that ability, he can show the thing more. The Vast of Night, they obviously would not have the budget to no. show anything get, too extensively. Lights in the sky and you yeah. keep it easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was seven hundred thousand dollars to make Vast. Yeah, of the Night. guy, the guy that made that, I remember he was like a uh, like video, like director for like the Oklahoma City Thunder or something, and he just You're like right. saved his money mm-hmm. and was like, "I'm just going to make this movie." And um, it's a great, it's a great one, film. That's uh, darling. I I love that film, man. man. Yeah, it's very good. I don't know if it looks better than Nope, but I mean, I think it, it, it plays better than Nope because it stays right where it thinks it can be small. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to trash my favorite movie of the year so far, so I, I can't go that far. But because because Nope does get the benefit of that big budget and that studio true, trust. True. Because it yeah, looks like I mean, I recently rewatched it on blue and it's just oh, what it a gorgeous movie. It's so mm-hmm. good. I mean, and uh like I said, it has those horror elements, but it also has Spielbergian, it has a lot of carpenter in it. And stirring back to Starman. Uh Nope has a lot of carpenter in it, and that's why I Agreed. really love it. So but yeah. uh and that's the thing is like with these classics that that have now become cult, otherwise classics, big or small, you'll always have them, and they'll always play. They just play well. Like is as analog as Starman can look to today's you know audiences mm-hmm. that need a little bit more sizzle, a little bit more pop. The the 
past all the analog stuff, you just can't beat romance and two great actors just, you know, finding a place together to spend where. Yeah, we yeah, haven't. Ta- yeah. I mean, we didn't talk enough about the actors. I mean, they're all really yeah, good. Sure I mean, yeah. Bridges, uh, I was reading that Bridges, like, um, I, I, thought, I thought when I watched it for the first time, I, I was a little put off at first by his very deliberate acting, but. Mm. Yeah, I, I grew I grew into it, but then I, I read today that he actually, because his character is non-corporeal and he's taking this shape, like he doesn't know how a human body works. So he actually yeah. like studied, um, I guess, like birds and stuff. So that's why he yeah. has like those head jerks and sure. Like I, I buy I, I, yeah, I I buy it a lot more now that I can see where he was going with, and uh, and then I think Karen Allen. Oh. I mean, she's a, she's a special effect in herself. Sold to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. She. I mean, she went on a run there. Even in movies that are, even in movies that had like a, a cynical edge to them or a little darkness. Like uh, I think of something like uh, what's the Bill Murray one? Um, Scrooged. Scrooged. Sure. Like she will like bring that light to that darkness you know like Mm -hmm. and uh but but also i mean an incredibly unique and singular beauty but not one that like feels manufactured by hollywood like i feel like i I would i would know i hate to say the words classic beauty but you know yeah i I feel like i feel like karen allen like lives down the street from me like she's not like a totally a mythical figure, you know, like that doesn't yeah. exist, you know, like a Scarlett Johansson that's just like is impossibly beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like, I feel like she's my next door neighbor at the same time. Like she could exist sure. in the real world. And I think that's her greatest gift is that she's stunning and human, you know, and that's just great. But yeah, she is definitely the heart and soul of this because she is kind of the audience surrogate too. I mean, mm-hmm. she, we, we are kind of on the journey discovering this guy like she is in real time. So we have to have a compelling lead to push us to that level so and i feel yeah. bad because um this was probably she was by the time this film came out she was 30 33 so oh that was i mean oh boy. anything <laughs> no but just anything past that you know she's no, gonna get turned into a mom and sure enough right. Right. nine years later she's in the sandlot playing mrs small you know and yeah. gets gets she did the the window was short and unnecessarily short for her so oh that's another one i forgot that she was in she was in uh cruising with pacino and that was another one where yeah um you kind of felt like that's another one with a darker edge where mm-hmm. you kind of feel like as um pacino is struggling with his sexuality like she kind of becomes this almost like victim of him trying to prove his masculinity and you almost kind of like feel it a lot more but just because of that i'm not gonna say wholesome nature because she's she's obviously Mm -hmm. like a more three-dimensional person but like when you you see that kind of being i don't know how to describe it when you when you just kind of see something like pure and nice and and good like that and that Mm -hmm. light being darkened it kind of makes the drama a little bit heavier but yeah, I, I'm trying to look through. I mean, you know, Raiders, um, Animal House, Scrooge, Cruising, yeah. Starman. 
you know, kind of top of the world there. I mean, she was in uh, Malcolm X, Manhattan. But yeah, Sandlot, and then... The little parts after, from there on out, yeah. Yeah, everything after that is just kind of... I mean, obviously she was in Crystal Skull, but whatever. Um, yeah. But... Uh, Can't count yeah, that. Well, uh, yeah. Quite count. I don't think it's as bad as... But no, she, she got saddled with the... Yeah, but she got like like unfortunately like actresses that hit forty that that's that's kind of it. So I know how dare women age, age. right? Oh, I know. Come on, so. and yeah, get guys get chances into their sixties. So yeah, of course they do. Uh, well, no, you could be <laughs> you could be Indiana Jones. You could be making your oh, fifth 80, sequel at, at eighty-two years crazy. old or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. anyways, um, all right. Let's. Any other final thoughts on Starman? No. Lo- love it glad it's here um i i get the cherished place that it belongs and i'm happy happy it has that spot on the shelf i i guess i would just tell you that if you like this one and you're kind of into that I atmosphere i would say i mean not, well first of all you need to see halloween at some point because well yeah it's amazing but um well, I, what I, else? I'd, I'm give, I'd give the fog a, a shot okay. especially with with halloween coming up tomorrow at the time we recorded this like mm-hmm. maybe give the fog a nice shot um I mean, They Live is not quite as atmospheric, but I mean, it's a fantastic yeah. film. And that's more sci-fi as well. I would say more sci-fi than horror. I mean, The mm-hmm. Thing is the thing is amazing. I mean, yeah. people have been ripping off The Thing for, you know, decades. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I, you know, so, I mean, if you're looking for that atmospheric carpenter, I mean, go Halloween Fog, The Thing. I mean, you can't really beat you. those in terms of like you know, that just, I'm not going to say oppressive, but just where you're completely inside the environment of what he's giving you. Okay. I'm in. Oh, and you know what? I'm going to throw in here assault on precinct 13. I, I, that's not a horror film. That's more of a thriller kind of, it's like a a modern day Western. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. I've seen the remake. Yeah. The, well, whatever on the remake but i know not very good I, I think i think you should that that's another one i would recommend if you want to like be horror adjacent but still get the carpenter experience um and yeah so i, I we'll go that way assault on pre-613 halloween fog and the thing I, I those are my recommendations to you for that atmospheric carpenter they are now on the list i'm in nice well, uh, you can uh, maybe follow Don's journey into John Carpenter um, by following us on Twitter at CinephileFit, on Facebook at CinephileFit Podcast, and you can find us both on Letterboxd. Um, I know this will come out after Halloween, but uh, when we're recording this, it is the 30th of October. Um, so if you guys want to see some really cool horror lists that I put together, um, on Letterboxd, I put some stuff there. My name's Will Joe on there. Um, I've ranked the Halloween films with the release of Halloween Ends. And uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, Troma, uh, Full Moon, and William Lustig stuff. So follow along and make some comments and watch along if you haven't seen them. We appreciate your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast. It is brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, the new Banana Meter, and are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and very interesting hosts. 
Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. 